So Jesus, what on earth did you mean by that? And Lord, how do we apply it to our lives? Please use these next few minutes to help us figure that out and walk in your ways. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, I want to welcome those of you here. It's great to see you. Those of you watching on the podcast also, great to have you uh, joining us. I want to start by telling you about how this woman here ruined my life. That is Queen Victoria of England. She died in 1901, and it's a little bit, I'm overstating it to say that she ruined my life. It wasn't so much her as an ethos that she didn't cause, but she came to symbolize, and, and it, it actually even started a little bit before she was born. And she didn't so much ruin my life as just make it inconvenient, but other than that, she ruined my life is an accurate statement. And in the West, she came to represent an ethos that was all about propriety, being polite, nice, stoic. In fact, I thought about titling this sermon, Why Is This Woman Smiling? But that wouldn't have been proper. And the Victorian era was all about proper. That was what was really important. Some folks would even cover piano legs with doilies because they thought if you saw a piano leg, it might arouse lustful thoughts in you. Okay, whoever thought that one up had like serious issues. And that ethos crept into the church. And pretty soon, church became the place where you had to mind your manners most of all. And the pastor became nice guy in chief, bland with just a touch of wimp, the kind of guy your Aunt Tilly think is just swell, right? And that was a real turnoff to most men who left the church in droves in this era, and a lot of women too. And the trend continued until by the 1990s, just 90 years after Victoria's death, the most prevalent image of church people in the culture was this. (laughs) Church lady from Saturday Night Live, prudish and interestingly very rude in enforcing her brand of politeness. Now, I just want to, I know that some of you are too young to remember this. Some of you are, I know that. So I just want to say, you know, go online and look at some Hulu clips or YouTube clips because it's really important that you study the classics. You really need to know these things. So now when I am at a party and someone asks what I do for a living and I tell them this is what they have in mind. Uptight, prudish, and I blame Vicky. She ruined my life and I'm having a hard time moving on. But here's the good news. Jesus is not a Victorian. Now, if we were in a Pentecostal church, you'd all go, amen. (laughs) Jesus is not a Victorian. That's good news. There you go. And that's good news. Jesus is good, but he is not nice. And he is not polite. And he doesn't care about those things at all. He is a warrior. And he says shocking things, like the verse we read today, where he says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And this is one of those verses we might want to ignore because, I mean, it just sounds, I mean, you may, maybe have never heard this verse preached before in your life. It just sounds so warlike and so violent. Plus, Jesus goes on to say, I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And some of you right now are like, well, we don't need Jesus for that. We (laughs) do that just fine on our own. But I really believe this verse is good news. Because if we lose a warrior God, we lose a lot. We lose a God of justice who fights against the things that hurt his people. We lose a God who is so passionate for his people that he will defend them. And what we get instead is a bland, wimpy, Victorian God. And since our lives will be no bigger than the God that we worship, we will end up with a bland, wimpy, Victorian life. And I'm guessing you don't want a Victorian life, bland, wimpy one. 
Now, this doesn't mean what I'm saying. It doesn't mean that we should go start fighting with our families. And I'm going to actually address the family part of this, the family dynamics of this next week. Nor is this a justification for wars of conquest. That's not what Jesus means. We know that because later when Jesus is arrested and the disciple Peter picks up a sword to defend him, Jesus says, put it away. That's not the kind he's bringing. The sword that Jesus brings is different. It's more like a scalpel, which, yes, can cut, but its intention is to heal. And to understand this, we have to understand what's behind this word peace in the Hebrew mind, the concept of peace, or shalom in Hebrew. So I'm going to do just a little bit of teaching. Because in Hebrew, shalom was not just the absence of conflict, it's the presence of justice, of right relatedness between God and people and people and each other. It was about wholeness, renewal, healing. So when Jesus says he doesn't come to bring peace, he's he's talking about just the absence of conflict. He's not interested in just doing that. What he's come to do instead is to fight to restore shalom, wholeness, healing, right relatedness. It's what theologians call missio dei, the mission of God. I just use Latin. That's cool. (laughs) See, the Bible is just this one long story of God's mission. It starts in Genesis with Abraham where God says, go, bless the whole world. It continues through the nation of Israel, culminates when God comes himself in the person of Jesus, conquers sin by paying the penalty for our sin on the cross, conquers death by rising from the grave. God has a mission in the world. But more than that, the God of mission has a church in the world whose role is to be warriors with Jesus to defeat the devil's plans. But all too often, the church has been this kind of uptight, bland Victorian tea party. Sedate, polite, boring. A while back, some folks from Jubilee Reach, the Christian Help Center started by this church. You heard about it earlier in the service. They were meeting with an insurance agent. And this insurance guy said, you know, insurance companies love to insure churches. You know why? They don't do anything. They said, but you guys, you're a bad risk because you're doing too many things. You're out there doing too much stuff. And he's also said, and so I'm telling all the other insurance guys I know about you guys and the churches that are part of you. And, and, and I even prayed before this meeting. To fully understand what Jesus means when he says he brings a sword, we have to understand it in the context of God's mission. In fact, the whole chapter that this appears in, this verse comes in, chapter 10, whole chapter is part of a, uh, is part of a, it's a long chapter where Jesus is commissioning his disciples to be part of God's mission. And we can't understand this verse without seeing it in its whole context, the whole chapter. So I'm just going to walk through some parts of this chapter to help us understand what it means that Jesus brings a sword and how that makes our lives bigger and better. And I'm just going to make some comments along the way and any of them are helpful, just then try to remember them. The chapter starts with this. It starts with Jesus saying, Jesus called his 12 disciples and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease. Now, up until now, the disciples have been just kind of watching Jesus preach and heal and all of that. They've sort of been in the passenger seat. But in this chapter, Jesus gives them the keys and says, take her out for a spin, boys. And notice what he tells them to do. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. In other words, restore shalom. Let me work through you to bring up there, down here. Restore what has been broken. Heal what has been wounded. That's what the kingdom of God is, this mysterious phrase, kingdom of God. It's basically when things are restored to the way God originally intended them 
to be. Because see, when widows around the world have their land taken from them unjustly, that's not okay with God. When young girls around the world are told that they can get a job in the city and then are driven far from home and forced to work in brothels, that's not okay with God. When kids in our own community who have everything money can buy but don't feel connected to an adult who can guide them, that's not okay with God. When folks are lonely, that's not okay with God. And this is the war that Jesus is talking about. It is not a war of conquest. It's a war of renewal, restoration, revival. Now, that's not to say that sometimes we don't have to fight and stand, for, uh, stand up to injustice. We do. I remember once in my former church, we had Gary Haugen. He's the director of International Justice Mission. He came and talked to our men's group in my former church. And one of the things he works against is human trafficking. And Gary told a story of a, of a man who promises teenage girls in Thailand a job, but then forces them to work in brothels. And he asked the men's group, what should we do with this man? And the men said things like, well, we should pray for him and we should show him the love of Jesus. And Gary said, yes, yes, what else? No one said anything. Finally, Gary said, we should put him in jail. Right? They were so conditioned to the Victorian Jesus that they couldn't see that, yes, we're called to love, but love is strong and it stands up and defends the defenseless. Now, should that unscrupulous man be shown the love of Jesus? Absolutely but in jail. Right? And I have done plenty of prison ministry, enough to know that many prisoners find a life-changing relationship with Jesus, and the violent ones will say, and I should be in jail to protect others. Love is strong, and sometimes it fights for the defenseless. And if injustice bugs you, do something about it. And our justice team can help you figure out lots of ways to do that. And then there are other times, actually probably most times in our life, for us, what taking up the sword of Jesus means is to love people in a way that defeats what's holding them back inside of themselves. I got an email about a man who I'll call Ron, who was a mentor to a student, I'll call the student Steve, from Eastside Academy, alternative high school that meets here. And Steve was recovering from a heroin addiction and really needed a male role model in his life. Ron had come up, had signed up through the Deeper Impact program we did a couple years ago. And he and Steve met weekly, which soon turned into kind of a daily check-in. And Ron had to travel a lot, so sometimes he would Skype with Steve from places like Taipei or Seoul, that sort of thing. And when Steve broke his sobriety or wanted to leave school or was depressed, he'd call Ron. Steve says, one weekend I got drunk and felt really bad, so I called Ron and we got coffee and talked about my issues. Talking to him has really helped me stay sober. Well, Steve graduated last year and he and Ron have continued their relationship. Steve is on a great path. Ron summed up his email this way. He said, Steve has told me on many occasions that he sees me as a father figure in his life. And I am proud of him just like a father would be proud of his own son. Ron fought for Steve's future and for Steve's soul by loving the brokenness out of him. That's the sword that Jesus brings, the sword of love that makes the wounded whole. It's also what got him killed because the crowds of his day were hoping he'd launch a violent revolution to overthrow the occupying Roman army. And when he didn't do that, they turned against him. That's why Jesus tells his disciples, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. You will be flogged in the synagogues. And when, and notice not if, when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. A little confusing why he tells them to run away. Other places he says, stand firm and stay. So we kind of have to use prayer and guidance of others to help us figure out what to do when. 
But the main point here is there's not a lot of good news in that verse, is there? I mean, this is not exactly how most leaders try to rally the troops, right? It's going to suck, but sign up, right? I mean, this is not exactly Henry V's speech, we few, we happy few, we band of brothers, right? Not so much. But it's very honest. There are always forces that work against God's purposes. And in parts of the world today, like Egypt or the Middle East, Christians are being persecuted. And we should pray for them and do what we can do to help them. Here, it's a little different, isn't it? We face subtler pressures. Maybe folks will make fun of us or think we're weird or cause a little bit of conflict or maybe it might affect our career a little bit. Now, quick caveat, sometimes Christians are disliked not because they're living the Jesus kind of life, but because they're judgmental jerks. And we need to make sure that that's not the issue. But the image of a sword is fitting. Kind of what Jesus is getting at is decision is division. Swords divide things. Decisions Decision is division. And if we are for Jesus, some folks are going to love it and others won't. So if what you want is to be safe, go to a Victorian tea party. But if what you want is life, not the bubblegum life our culture offers, but an adventure that gives you meaning and purpose and joy even in hard times because we know that God's good purposes cannot be stopped no matter what and we are on the winning team, well then stick with Jesus. That's why Jesus says, do not be afraid after he tells them you're going to be flogged and persecuted, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but can't kill the soul. In other words, there are some things that are more important than pleasure, comfort, success, or even life. We all die, but did we live before we died? So here's the question. Would you like a trouble-free life that is sedate or one with challenge and excitement? Except it's not really a choice, is it? Because There's no such thing as a trouble-free life. So you might as well live in a way that the troubles you've got actually mean something or making a difference. And when failure happens, and it does, it doesn't necessarily mean that we've messed up somehow. It might mean that, and we've got to ask that question. But see, sometimes failure, failure is the way Jesus goes around succeeding. Sometimes failure is the way Jesus goes around succeeding. The best example of that is the cross, that seeming failure that he used to conquer sin and death. See, our goal should not be to live long, but just to live. And we can be comfortable and build a fire in our hearth or build a fire in our hearts. And Jesus did not come to make us polite. He did not come to make us comfortable. He came to make us fully alive. Plus, there's just a huge honor in this passage that Jesus gives to us. It's it's like when the coach puts you in the game and says, get after it. It's sort of an, oh, captain, my captain moment where Jesus calls us up to something bigger. Because some things, like God's world and God's people, are worth fighting for, aren't they? Some things are worth fighting for. Someone recently sent me a picture of a t-shirt that said, Rules for Dating My Daughter, which I appreciated because my oldest daughter is now 14, and this whole dating thing is going to be relevant in another 15 years or so when she's allowed to date. (laughs) And the rules were, one, get a job. Two, she's my princess, not your conquest. I like that. Three, understand that I don't like you. Four, I'm everywhere. And then five, remember, I don't mind going back to jail. That was my favorite one. Some things, and I just, I just probably scared off any potential dates of my daughter in this church, so I just want to be clear, I'm joking. I'm so not joking. Some things are worth fighting for. And Bell Press, one of the things I love about you all is you want to pick that sword up and fight to bring Jesus' kingdom. You don't want a Victorian church. You want a church that's part of this battle. And you're doing it in so many ways. 
Maybe it's to volunteer at the Jubilee Reach Center or Eastside Academy. Maybe just start by going to Eastside Academy's auction to help fund that great, the great work they do. And you can sign up for Jubilee Reach or the auction, Eastside Academy, in the lobby afterwards. Maybe it's to be part of our children and youth ministries. This generation really wants to be with older people. Sometimes you can watch them. They'll, just, they'll go to the oldest person in the room just to be with them. A couple Sundays ago, we had 85 middle schoolers in one room. 85 middle schoolers in one room and only five adult volunteers. Them's fearful odds, guys. But more to the point, these kids are fun. They're wonderful to be with. You can help them feel loved in a way that changes their life. And when someone says to you, you changed my life, man, that is a rush. One of the best ways to pick up Jesus' sword is right where he's put you throughout the week. I've said this before. Church, we are 4,000 antibodies in a diseased body politic, strategically scattered by God Monday through Friday, all throughout the King County area to partner with God to bring renewal and revival right where he has placed us in our schools in our offices, in our neighborhoods, home. story came to me this week via my former church from, Calif- from California where there was a front-page article in the San Francisco Chronicle about a woman named Linda Allen who's a bus driver in San Francisco. And Linda loves the people on her bus, knows their names. She'll wait for them if they're late, and then she'll make up time later on her route. There was once a, a woman in her 80s named Elsie who was struggling with some bags, and Linda left the driver's seat and helped Elsie get the bags on the bus, totally against the rules. And they became friends, and they hang out. Elsie taught Linda how to play Scrabble, and, and Linda appreciated that, and they just hang out. Well, now Elsie will let lots of buses pass her by because she just wants to ride on Linda's bus. One time, Linda saw a woman in a bus shelter, clearly new to town. Linda didn't know her at all, but she was looking lonely. It was Thanksgiving, so Linda stopped the bus and said, you look lonely, it's Thanksgiving. Why don't you come over to my house and kick it with me and the kids? And this woman went. The reporter who wrote the article rides on her bus every day, and he says that Linda has built such a community of blessing on her bus that passengers always give her all these gifts. They offer her the use of their vacation homes. Right to the bus driver, right? She likes scarves, so they bring her all these scarves. One woman upgraded to a, to a fur collar, obviously not someone from PETA, right? The way Linda started driving the bus was that she was out of work, and a card came in the mail for her husband advertising the position. Husband wasn't home, so Linda said, so I took it and I applied. And that was 26 years ago, and she's been driving joyfully ever since. So the question is, between traffic jams and grumpy passengers, all that, how does Linda keep that attitude? Well, the article said her mood is set at 2.30 a.m. when she gets down on her knees to pray for 30 minutes. There's always a lot to talk about with the Lord, says Linda, a member of Glad Tidings Church in Hayward, California. That's a quote from that great Christian publication, the San Francisco Chronicle. (laughs) You know, when passengers get off the bus, Linda says, that's all. Thank you. I love you. When was the last time a bus driver said, I love you, to you? It'd freak you out if that happened, wouldn't it? (laughs) Leave me alone. Linda said she first met Jesus when she was unemployed, on welfare, living in a rough neighborhood. She herself came from a family of poverty and drug addiction. She wanted to break that legacy, so she prayed in Jesus' name to have those generational curses broken. In her words, I prayed all the uh right out of me. And over time, Jesus set her free and filled her with joy. And now Linda says every day Jesus nudges her. Who on the bus might need a special word of grace or a little bit of extra care? As John Ortberg, pastor of my former church, puts it, where do you find the kingdom of God? On bus 45 in San Francisco. 
And even the newspaper has to acknowledge that Jesus is on the move through her. And I want to ask you, does she seem miserable? She seems fully alive to me. It's like a passage in the Bible similar to the one we read today, where Jesus sends out 72 of his followers to preach and to heal. And it says the 72 returned with what? With joy. And they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. That'd be cool. That's why Jesus says at the end of the passage we read today, whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses it for my sake is going to find it. Most frequent promise that Jesus makes. See, ultimately what brings joy is to know that our lives matter, that Jesus is using us to win his battle against the devil and that even the demons are going to have to submit to us in the name of Jesus. That is what Linda Allen knows, that in a city where people's souls are scarred because the message they get is you're only as valuable as how attractive you are, how much money you make, or the title on your business card, and all the loneliness and dysfunction that comes from that, Linda is pushing back on the ways that the devil mars the human soul by giving people a moment of community, a moment of of feeling cared for, a moment of mattering just because they are, not for what they've achieved. She is wielding the sword of Jesus, and even the demons have to submit to her in Jesus' name. See, Jesus is all about a war. It's just a different kind of war where the strongest weapon is love. And breakthroughs happen. The breakthrough happens when folks believe, really believe that God is good and not just good for them, but that God intends good for others. God intends good for that unethical business person, for the terrorist, for the prostitute, for that mean neighbor who always complains about your dog, for the coworker who says inappropriate things. God intends good for them. And when folks show the goodness of God, breakthrough happens. Hearts are changed. And then businesses and neighborhoods and cities and whole nations Happened before in first century Rome. So many Christians lived differently. It just changed the culture. It's happening today. Places like China, Latin America. Jesus is on the move and he is not out to make us nice. He is out to light a fire in us like the sun, the most potent force in the solar system that can turn a cold, barren world and bring life and healing and growth and renewal. That's what Jesus is about. Because you see, Her Majesty here, Queen Victoria, I'm sure she was a nice lady and all, but she never should have come to represent what Jesus is all about. It's more like this. That's more like, and plus, doesn't Linda just look a lot happier than Queen Victoria? (laughs) Right? This is just closer to Jesus, who says you can build a fire in your hearth and be comfortable, or you can build a fire in your heart and be fully alive. Jesus who says to you, and he says to me, so how about it? How about together we get out there and do some serious damage to the devil and bring up there, down here? So Jesus, help us to follow you in that. Lord, thank you that you don't call us to be boring and polite, but you call us into battle with you. Lord, help us to do that with you at our side in a way that honors you and brings you glory and brings up there, down here. We ask this in your name, Lord. Amen.